like my mom would be like, oh, I know how we can make it fun. You can choose your barrettes. And I'm like, <laughs> I got two barrettes for you. I got two bread, the two middle fingers that I am sticking <laughs> in the air, like as if that is going to assist me. <laughs> Okay, there have been these two dogs barking outside all day, and if they bark through my intro and ruin it, so help me God. Hi, I'm Trevor Campbell, and this is You Made Me Queer, the show where queer people whisper their most delicious secrets into the twitching ears of a childhood pet. That's right, every episode I invite a fantastic LGBTQIA plus guest on to point the finger of blame at who and or what made them queer. How you doing? This is our pen penultimate episode. Yes, that means it is episode 18. We have our live episode next week. And then our season finale, episode 20, is coming up hot and fast at the end of June. But let's dial it back. Uh, first of all, a 24-year-old man was seriously attacked on his way home from Hanlon's Point, which is a beach on Toronto Island, uh, this past week. Fortunately, it looks like they are going to be able to identify the attackers because of a photo that was taken. But I think some people might be surprised by this. I mean, this is Toronto, which people think, even in Canada, is a bastion of liberalism. But where being queer, even in 2021, as we've seen, can mean that you are not safe. And as it is Pride Month, I think there are a few important points that bear repeating here. So first, Pride is a party, yes, everybody loves a float, everybody loves a water gun. But it was, is, and will continue to be a protest too, as long as queer people cannot live in safety and with the same rights and privileges as everyone else. It's just really as simple as that. Second, hate speech and violent behavior is perpetrated against queer people, not because of who they are, the queer people, but because of what they reveal about their oppressors. Uh, for example, their insecurities with their gender identity, their sexual orientation and their desires, um, and their fear of who they really are. So when you are afraid to be yourself, seeing someone live their truth freely can feel like a threat. So if you feel that way about anyone at all, uh, pour yourself Kool-Aid, sit down and think about what you're really so afraid of. And third, if queerness is a problem for you, if you will quote-unquote tolerate it but don't want to see it or hear it, if you wish queer people would just be a little more demure about who they are, I just want you to know that attacks like these make me want to wrap up in a feather boa and force you to watch me perform Shirley MacLaine's original choreography from every single minute of Sweet Charity. So it's going to backfire. The harder you come, the softer I prance, the higher I kick, the more like Kylie Minogue I become. So if the show has taught you anything, you know that if you provoke me to do any of those things, it's going to make you queer. Okay, so moving on, 
We have announced a contest on Instagram and Twitter. You may have seen it if you're not following us on both of those platforms. A hex upon you and your hetero household. So this contest is to celebrate our upcoming live, quote-unquote, live episode next Tuesday, June 15th at 6 p.m. at Glad Day Bookshop. We are giving away one of two Henderson Brewing Co. prize packs. So my guest and I will be drawing the winners live on Glad Day TV, where the show will be broadcast at the end of the episode. You can get tickets that will go into the straw that will improve your chances of winning in the following three ways. One, you can take a friend who you think would like You Made Me Queer on Instagram or Twitter. So spread the word. This will get you one ticket. Number two is you can email the show, you made me queer at gmail.com, your own queer origin story, which, as you know, we may read on the podcast. And number three, for three tickets, the juiciest number of tickets, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. If you do any of these things and you want to drop me a line or send me an email just to make sure uh, I see this and can identify you, maybe you have some crazy username uh, like Unicorn42, and I'm not going to know who to give a prize to, please contact me and let me know. Also, I wish that I could ship this around the world if you win, but because uh, of a variety of reasons, these prizes are available to Toronto area residents only. And it's Henderson Brewing Co., but there is an alcoholic prize pack and a non-alcoholic prize pack because we want people to party in the way that makes most sense to them. You feel me? So one more time, that is next week, next Tuesday. It will be episode number 19, which will later be on the podcast. Tuesday, June 15th at 6 p.m. It's one hour long. You watch it on Zoom. Uh, so to watch this from anywhere in the world, please go to www.gladdaylit.ca slash gdtv. That's Glad Day TV. Also, in addition to my guest on this episode, we are going to have a live performance of our theme song by its creator and performer, Critty. You do not want to miss any of this. There are going to be uh, things that possibly you've never dreamed of. What do I know about your dreams? Surprise me. So let's move on to today's guest, who is Dr. Lee Ayrton. Yes, I said doctor. Excuse you. Dr. Lee Ayrton is an assistant professor of gender and sexuality studies in education at Queen's University in Kingston, Ontario. Beautiful campus. Who doesn't love a cobblestone? In 2012, they founded They Is My Pronoun, the first Q&A-based blog about gender-neutral pronoun usage and user support with over 30,000 unique visitors in 2017 alone. I mean, who doesn't bow down to a stat like that? In 2016, Dr. Ayrton founded the No Big Deal Campaign, a national social media initiative that helps people show support for transgender people's rights to have their pronouns used. One month ago, yes, one month ago from the moment now from which I am speaking, Dr. Ayrton and their research team launched gg.ca, pronounced gg.ca, but spelled g-e-g-i.ca, the first bilingual self-advocacy resource for K-12 students who are experiencing gender expression and gender identity discrimination at school. Can you imagine anyone who's not in high school? If you had a resource like this, or if a resource like this was normalized when you were a child, do you know what that would have done? In recognition for their advocacy work, Dr. Ayrton received a 2017 Youth Role Model of the Year Award from the Canadian Centre for Gender and Sexual Diversity. Here, here. Also, Dr. Ayrton has written more than one book, but their first book is called Gender Your Guide. It is 
so good. I really recommend it. I've read it myself. Uh, We talk about it a bit in our conversation. If there's anyone in your life that has questions about gender, either about someone they know, about themselves, this is a perfect book. It is a reference, but it is fun. It is practical. It is not didactic. It's a real great read and it has this beautiful sort of like silky matte finish on the cover with embossed lettering. Gorgeous. Anyway, a few things about this conversation. It might sound like we're rudely interrupting one another from time to time. This is in fact Zoom like. I'm not a monster. Lee is certainly not a monster. Don't at us. Uh, I also naturally and non-ironically use the word peeps in this conversation. So um, that's something I have to live with now. But without further ado, I really hope you enjoy this conversation because God knows I did. Set your headphones to lol and enjoy my conversation with Dr. Lee Ayrton. So this is funny because I haven't recorded an episode since sort of the heat wave that is hit Toronto. And so usually I'm in this sort of very nice compact cocoon sort of womb-like structure. But now it's like a sauna. (laughs) How are you? I'm okay. My hair is very curly right now, which is not nice because I really just want my hair to be like in extremely rigid comb lines with gel. Mm -hmm. And I don't brush it out. Mm -hmm. So I want my hair to look like I'm a Ken doll. That's my goal. (laughs) And it's simply not sustainable right now so i have a strange swoosh going on that people tell me is very attractive and then i say be quiet you know not of what you speak (laughs) i don't want to be shamed on my own show but i was going to say there's sort of a a dramatic swoop that has even sitting still you've got momentum how about that it looks like i just arrived here and i stopped moving because of the swoosh. that's right yeah (laughs) there's like a comic motion line whereas with me this is the one flavor you get well you're living your best life because you don't have to worry about any of this hair hair barber crap that the rest of us have to worry about so I'm actually a little bit jealous because yeah, I'm too vain about my hair to take testosterone because so, <laughs> it would go <laughs> well it looks great thank you and you are where where are you broadcasting from is this a home office situation yes I go from my bedroom to this room and occasionally I go outside or downstairs <laughs> now people listening can't see this but Lee is in front of a pretty imposing bookshelf full of books which is great so this sort of underscores I mean I brought Lee today here for many reasons, a variety of reasons. But one of the very important reasons is that Lee has a PhD. And I want people on my show with empirical intelligence that can, you know, with a, with a paper trail is what I'm trying to say. Your receipt. Yeah, exactly. Show me the receipts. So the fact that you have these books behind you mm. is just, you know, another point in your corner. So is the suction cup cat bed that is on my window. Helping <laughs> with whatever you want this to help with. Domestic bliss, maybe, <laughs> is what I read from that. Whereas me, what I'm bringing um, you know, hot and fresh to you is this sort of moderately dirty drop cloth. I can't tell that it's dirty because the internet makes everything a little gauzy. So it just looks to me like it's a professional sound cloth. Thank you. You know, it's funny because I, anytime I say that, people say, I couldn't tell it was dirty. And I think, ah, stop telling people it's dirty. But here we are. <laughs> okay. So, you know, perhaps on that note, as we're talking about anger, I picked up some anger. So anger and misunderstandings. Maybe we should move to sort of uh, Where did you pick up anger? I was trying to ride a segue and and I, I implicated you and threw you under the bus. Let me hit it again in a friendly way. 
let's move on. So as we know, as we know of people of higher learning, of academia, science or not, many things can make us queer, but we did not know this when we were growing up, especially, you know, in the periods of the 70s or the 80s when so many things were lawless. You know, we were still reveling over the discovery of shopping malls. Mm. And so we were distracted. I don't know. I knew when I was like three years old and I hate malls. So like, (laughs) I hate malls, but I... How, how how old were you when you knew you were queer? Oh my gosh. Well, quite well. Well, first of all, I am here for malls. I was a big mall fan early on. Um, <laughs> I will take a food court almost any day of the week. And looking back, of course, I, I have stories from being four, probably four or five when I realized I was different. I didn't have the vocab, of course, but no. But you are here because I have built this platform for the very purpose of queer people getting to look back at these stories, you know, when we were three or four or five or whatever. Ever, and finally get to sort of cash in those coupons against the <laughs> what am I talking about against the you know the people and the things that queered us as you were to turn it into a verb so that's why I've called you here today so I'm going to throw the hot mic over to you yes. Professor Lee Ayrton PhD mm-hmm. please tell me who and or what <laughs> made you queer well I think one of the things that made me queer there's two things the first one is that I'm type A and I'll explain and the second thing is that I was and this, these are, of course, not real reasons, but they're just reasons that I think are fun to talk about. And yeah. I think the other reason is that I was the youngest person in my family oh. by a lot. How many siblings do you have? I have two. And my brother, Michael, is 11 years older than me. And my sister, Megan, is eight years older than me. And my parents were also quite old for the time when they had me. My mom was 40 and my dad was 42. So mm-hmm. I came into a family of people who all had highly developed personalities, the four of them, and already had a whole life. <laughs> that they had had, like they had this past of going camping as a family. Never in my lifetime have I gone camping with my mother. <laughs> that was all gone by the time I came around. They had to kill that when you showed up. I guess so, because like it's hard to find a, ca- a travel trailer for five. So I ruined That's that for everybody. I guess I'll start with that one. I think that made me queer mm-hmm. because... I was constantly engaged in adult conversation. And by that, I mean, I was always around adults who were always talking about things that most children have no interest in. I mean, the most boring things like law and insurance and relationships. (laughs) And who cares? Who cares? Like, but people who they're judging and who they have opinions of. And I think I was very aware as a child about how people were perceived by other people because I was, Mm. I was a good listener. I was very precocious and I was constantly listening, observing to the adults around me. And I was also pretty much allowed in the late 80s and early 90s when I was maybe eight-ish. I was also allowed to pretty much roam in my neighborhood. Yeah, as as parents of the 80s were wont to do with their kids. Yeah, I would come home after school <laughs> and I would get on my skateboard with my dog maybe or on my bicycle and I would pretty much troll the neighborhood for people to speak with. <laughs> And I would learn about their entire life history and I would get it out of them. And then I would go home and tell my mom. (laughs) (laughs) And then that was, she's like, okay. mm -hmm." Did your mom love it? Because you were sort of like the investigative journalist of your neighborhood. Yes, she did. (laughs) She really did. And we are storytelling people. So I had stories about everybody who I would just gather these stories. I would go, I would eat three dinners. I would be, I was just sort of always (laughs) around. And the reason why I think it made me queer is I think... 
I have always had exposure to a the world of adults and the different kinds of judgments that they pass on each other. And I don't mean that I was raised in the hotbed of judgment. I just mean that's a lot of what people talk about is who is doing stuff the way you expect and who's doing things that kind of goes against the grain. So I had this uh-huh. huge reservoir of stories that I heard from all of the adults in my life. I was usually the only child at a function or at a party. My family's very social. And I mm-hmm. also had this huge archive of stories that I just gathered about people's lives just from being this weird child who went around and talked to everybody. So I think I just always knew that there's so many different ways you can live your life and that people have feelings about that and that people yeah. derive meaning from that. So I think that's part of made me queer. And then it was being type A. Well, before we go to the next one, do you find that, because I think that's also part of the stereotype, you know, in movies or things like that, we have the pr- sort of precocious child, y- almost exactly what you said, the precocious child at the dinner party with a wine glass full of grape juice or something <laughs> like that, sort of participating in a weird way in adult conversations. And my theory, which I'm just formulating as we speak is that you know like when you aren't directly implicated in things when you feel like you're not being spoken to but rather sort of in a sort of adjacent way where you have to do a lot of sort of decoding or like um Mm. shifting of roles that you are able to you're you're you become sort of a social critic from age four oh that's i think that's totally fair okay it's yes i think that's true you become a person who has to constantly manage and think deeply and also quickly about how other Mm. people are relating to you because also as as this weird child i also had a really intense sense of like which adults were taking me seriously and which adults were not and which adults were kind of weirded out by this very chatty person who is like very interested (laughs) and trying to start conversations and so I I think that sense is something that I developed as a child of how to figure out what my relationship is with other people and what sort of norms of power are involved in our interaction and how to navigate that so I could talk to them and learn all about their lives. 100% it becomes sort of like um, these costumes you can don to infiltrate these conversations oh much yeah and I started doing this when I was five like my mom has the story of me going over to her friend's house and she had a much older husband and he was like a very sort of old dude and I would try to engage him in conversation all the time and he was always a bit like what what's happening and one time I just said (laughs) I just tried so hard it was like my last ditch attempt and we were sitting in his living room and and I said what a massive lamp that is (laughs) and he was like <laughs> yes, it is very large. And he was like, What kind of child says massive? I was like five. And that oh sort of God. came back to my mom later and it was just so funny. It's one of my mom's favorite stories of me being that weird child. But I was like, please God, anything I just really need to get in here and get you to talk. I love that in your mind something was like, wait, yeah, I've got it. This is gonna get in. And then just like, who is this cartoon? That's funny. My mom has a story she tells about how one time we were at a hotel somewhere and I would wander off constantly and <laughs> and my parents kind of permitted this. Again, it was the 80s. But at one point, there was a scene of me where I'm in a hotel hot tub nice. with like four 40 year old women. That's so funny. Yeah, just all like chatting, bloody, bloody, blah. blah, blah. So and and I can't imagine what I was talking about, how I thought I was contributing. But the sweet spot is when you have that impulse, I think, before you start to get self conscious, when you have that, when you're young enough to just be like, I can talk to these ladies or talk to this older husband. For sure. Anytime. Another one of my parents' favorite stories of my childhood is we were at a, a community of cabins we've gone to every summer since I was a child. After they had to abandon the camper? <laughs> yes, this is what we did instead. <laughs> we started going there when I was two. And there was a guy there and the same families go every year. So it's a really beautiful, 
beautiful like intergenerational community and like one of the men used to go is this mm. very high-powered reserved banker and he had like two of his very high-powered reserved banker friends which was weird because it was not a very fancy place so i don't really know why he was there but that's fine so he had two <laughs> of his friends come up for the day for like a luncheon which i was like "Ooh, what is a luncheon so i was really needing to Ooh, know what, that what are was. these extra letters on lunch <laughs> like lunch yawn so i was like does it last a long time so my parents looked over at one point and i was like really interested in these people <laughs> and so i actually went over and my mom looked over she's like and i looked over and the next minute you had them all organized doing a soccer drill with you <laughs> these three dudes in their like boat shoes and their little and their button downs and like oh, oh my god, god. And i had them all organized to play this game with me that i created you are type a yes i was a strange precocious type a child that is so cool yeah that's funny hey because with the sort of the social criticism and you know certainly not all queer folks have this chip in them but sort of stage managing because i come from theater so i use these terms but stage managing the situation oh so much you know be fun like if you stood here and you did this and And it will be fun and i hope it will be but this what led me to education too is like just facilitating i think is something that Mm. being able to facilitate interactions the other thing about being a precocious, chatty child who had access to all these stories is that I think story and story making was a huge part of the play that I did with other kids. So I had quite a few friends who what we would do is act out like dramas that had themes like revenge and and like being a jilted lover and like... Very soapy. I know, very soapy. My teddy bear poultry was a very large... I don't know why I was saying poultry. He was... I heard an adult saying it. But that's all like... I'm going to think about for the next four days. Like, <laughs> what's that story? Okay, go on. Poultry was great. My mom put him in a bag for five years during my undergrad, and then he had a scary-looking smushed face, so she gave him away to a child who came to a shelter she volunteered at, and I was livid with her for about three weeks. And so was that child as they had recurring nightmares about a smashed teddy bear. Poultry <laughs> looks scary now in his onesie. Poultry. There's like a poultry poltergeist joke there I want to work on, but <gasps> let's carry on. Poultrygeist? Poultrygeist, a chicken who inhabits your home and knocks your things over that you can't see. Sounds about right. But yeah, so poultry would pretty frequently guest star in these scenarios with my friends. And because like I was like a female assigned kid, I had pretty much even split. Well, no, I probably had more mm-hmm. friends who were girls than boys. And that's just how it would play out at the time. But I would end up doing like a lot of intense, like dramatic role play with like my friend who was a girl where poultry had like stolen her away from me and I was the male lead. <laughs> Well, I'd have to win back her affections. That I think just, oh my God, like, how can that not make you queer? Like chicken or the egg, I don't know. But a lot of dramatic play like that. Oh, 100%. And that's funny because that's, I think, one of the benefits of, I grew up as kind of a a weird sort of like side door theater kid in that I wasn't trained traditionally, but like through Parks and Rec and stuff. And the way I got to experiment with my identity, even though I wasn't aware I was doing this, but through plays and costumes and even just thinking about my character and changing them to become someone else is such a cool part I think of queer childhood and it sounds like you were doing that and playing with gender in that way too oh 100% all the time cool I was also pretty much by the time I was eight I was pretty much constantly passing as a boy if people didn't have any other information about me And so I think all Mm. of that early play that I did really facilitated me figuring out how to do that. And that was actually pretty awesome because I I played with a lot of kids I didn't know because, like, again, I would just roam around constantly. (laughs) (laughs) So when they were children, I I tended to try to avoid telling them my name as long as I possibly could. 
Which probably upped your street cred because you were just sort of this like, <laughs> who's that? Like, w- we don't know their name. <laughs> they never tell us their name. <laughs> I swoop in, organize everybody to play an amazing game, and then I just leave. We just had the most fun exactly. of our lives we've ever had with another child. Where did they go? Who are they? <laughs> it's true. No parent is concerned. This was the 80s. So the, oh, there's just like a Christopher Robin type parentless child. No, and no parents were ever concerned about me. Well, there's no reason they should be. But like, but I right. did tend to get their kids involved in like large schemes. So that was probably a bit yeah. annoying sometimes. Like, I can't even tell you how many, like, detective agencies I found with my friends. They were so <laughs> dumb. They lasted, like, 10 seconds or, like, a sports team of some kind. Like, I was always trying to make that happen, which is very tiring for everyone. Uh, but, but yeah, I think parents generally thought I was great because my, my own parents were very concerned because they knew who I am and what I'm like. They were very mm-hmm. concerned that I would be seen as a precocious little brat. And I had older siblings and I was a very funny child and I'm mother would constantly just check in and make sure that I they weren't teaching me to say rude things <laughs> and I learned very early like how exactly to be wasp white anglo-saxon protestant normative polite yeah so I was like a pathologically polite extremely precocious child yeah wow I mean what a package <laughs> I'm here for it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that's how I got away with a lot of it because yeah. I just knew like exactly how to behave in the social milieu and then sort of prove that I have that capacity to interact in the way people expect. I'm not saying that's awesome. It's just what is liked in those spaces I grew up in. Mm-hmm. And then now that we've gotten that out of the way, tell me all about your life story. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny too, because that can, like that can be a good thing. And like you said, it created a lot of exciting opportunities and it can make for a hard adolescence. Mm. I think it then transitions into a good adulthood absolutely adolescence was terrible yeah oh my god (laughs) yeah precociousness as a teenager is is rough (laughs) it is (laughs) it's not cute no and luckily (laughs) when i was an adolescent i i continued to have access to this community of adults so i i feel like that helped me out with being not knowing yet but emerging trans adolescent that really helped Mm -hmm. but i think another thing that made me queer was being type a yeah and just finding everything to do with femininity to be a complete waste of time <laughs> because I had like so many things I was doing. I was very busy. Yeah. Like I, I used to pretend to do homework when I was a child because I wanted to do homework. Like when I was three, I would get books out <laughs> and notepads and pretend to be a homeworking person like my siblings. I love that. Yeah. Whenever I had a bath, like my mom had to like sit me on the table with books and I had to sit there for 20 minutes while she blow dried my hair and made me look like John Bonet Ramsey. And it was just so aggravating right such a waste of time just from an efficiency standpoint yes it didn't match <laughs> yeah, yeah. And we didn't really have like fam positivity and like fam politics back then so yeah my only relationship and let alone if that's even ever accessible to children maybe it is but like i was just like over it and very annoyed this was getting the way of my plans mm-hmm. and the last time i ever wore a dress was at my uncle jim's wedding and oh my god it was the most butch dress you've ever seen like <laughs> sailor very severe angles <laughs> And as soon as it was over, as soon as the ceremony was over, I tucked my dress into my underpants, put my shoes under a bush and started rolling down the hill. And mom's like, that's it. And I'd already had my hair cut off at that time. She's like, that's it. Oh, perfect. <laughs> now, when you say sailor dress, I'm not quite sure what's a picture, but I'm hopefully picturing some sort of pinafore situation. Yeah, like white, boxy, like in at the waist just a bit. Yeah. Like shoulders that are bigger than they ought to be and like some kind of blue sash. <laughs> oh, yeah, who's got time for that? Yeah, like a like a lesbian school marm in a 19. 19- 1930 German 30s no I mean not 30s 1920s German film get your decades right (laughs) 
Yeah, I just the 30s in Germany, I don't want to. Yeah, I know that's probably steer clear <laughs> of that for a comedy podcast. <laughs> yeah, so I see what you're saying, because there's a lot of, uh, I want to say window dressing that goes with being sort of, certainly in that era, I mean, just like dresses and hair and oh all God. of that stuff. Yeah, it's a lot. But because you were a bit fastidious and a bit of a planner. So mm-hmm. did, you, yes. did that kind of give away later? Interesting. Because I am very fastidious. I'm very particular about what I wear and my hair, like the aforementioned, like glue it down to my head like a Ken doll is my happy place. That's right. So I am very fastidious about my gender expression, but I use that phrase now. Um, And I think, and that's the thing we kind of wonder when we look back in time at our kids selves is, is the language that we would use at the time to describe something we were feeling. Like, I don't actually know if that irritation like if, if it had been something I'd taken pleasure in or that I appreciated, like there are plenty of kids who are provisionally assigned as girls or who are girls and remain that way who enjoy femininity. Mm-hmm. They just enjoy that. And they and it might be annoying. It might hurt. Like how many little girls, like just like my, one of my nieces just screams when you do her hair if you're not really careful because you're really sensitive scalp. So she like hates that procedure of having her hair done but she loves looking pretty in the way that she understands what pretty looks like yeah so i don't know i mean i just remember being enraged like i actually have a memory of that feeling and i think what was available to me at the time was just realizing how much time i was missing out on before bed for my various pursuits because i had to do this stupid routine (laughs) (laughs) the blow dryer (laughs) but i don't know if primarily I don't know if that's the cause. So it's interesting to trace that. Yeah, of course. It's funny now, right? Looking back with our like mm. big grown up pants on to think about what oh was psychologically happening or behaviorally or whatever. And like my mom would be like, oh, I know how we can make it fun. You can choose your barrettes. And I'm like, <laughs> I got two barrettes for you. I got two bread, the two middle fingers that I am sticking <laughs> in the air, like as if that is going to assist me. <laughs> Lee gets credit for that joke. You couldn't see that, but Lee had middle fingers up first before I riffed on it. So point <laughs> Professor Ayrton. But you gave it the name. I remember being a, a little kid and there were just little things because I was generally, I would be dirty a lot. Like I was the mud puddle kid. Mm. But I also had um, other certain things. Like I, I remember I really hated being called handsome. Mm. I always wanted to be called pretty mm. as a little kid. Oh. And I was really jealous of, I remember from six or seven being aware of the colors that would be inaccessible to me to wear because of my gender which i found frustrating so young oh yeah yeah i was like boys get shit oh my god 100 <laughs> percent. it's just terrible yeah. there's so many boys who maybe don't even grow up to be gay but like just want to access different kinds of aesthetics and yeah. it's unbelievable so so much more restrictive i'm so glad that i was assigned female because i even in the late 80s there was more more leeway for me yeah oh it's interesting to too, hey, like in the 80s, too, I think about sort of I'm, these are possibly outdated terms, but like tomboy and things like that, where whatever. Yeah, we had a really limited vocabulary for sort of quote unquote gender transgression. Yeah. But I, I feel like there was a little more wiggle room for female assigned kids who wanted to like play in the mud. Oh, yeah. As opposed to, yeah, male assigned kids who, you know, wanted to put in that tutu and <laughs> run around Absolutely. the grass for a while. Which remains to this day. Thanks to the patriarchy. Absolutely. <laughs> Uh, and it's, it's, anyway, I don't want to get all like, this is a fun podcast, so I'm not going to talk about <laughs> research about that. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, you just pick up a tome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
that's what you that just is. dim the lights and got a 60 pound encyclopedia out of the bookshelf Uh-oh. <laughs> that's right because the things i study are definitely encyclopedias that's right that's right dust off the top <laughs> okay so we've got let's review so far because we're moving at a breakneck speed we have <laughs> the age gap between siblings yeah which created this sort of like age jump and we also have a type childhoods very much okay and just the inconvenience of femininity yeah that's how i experienced Instead. Which as a phrase is so juicy. Oh, and like, so, yeah. And I think femininity and particularly the way that that's reinterpreted in queer communities, like the, the art and the practice of the time and the, the sharing of knowledge with other femmes and, or femme people. And like, that is something that is, that's, what's beautiful about what I, I'm not remotely a femme, but what I've learned from femme people in my life is like, that's a culture and a community that is very collaborative and participatory and beautiful and that's mm-hmm. not the way I think a lot of very straight cis girls or straight cis girls are raised to think about femininity and I just I just uh it's just the inconvenience that's all it has ever been it ever was for me and just run away yeah a hundred percent except except so another thing actually now I'm thinking about it that made me queer is I was so I had older parents um so I mentioned how we didn't go camping anymore as a family after I was born mm-hmm. sorry um, my Megan I ruined that for you, but but we're all over it now, I think. But what I did get is I got a dad whose business was doing very well and it had not been doing well when they were little and who was relaxing into a more like stable, successful career. Nice. uh, Where he had his own business. Okay. And so he had a lot of time to spend with me. And my mom, my mom having only me, she worked part-time my dad's business, but my was her number one project. Right. Yeah. I got to do a lot of stuff with my parents. And I would go to weird lady tea parties with my mom. (laughs) And that was so interesting and do like, and sort of, and I was sort of there as an observer, like just doing the things I usually did as a strange, precocious child and just learning about that. And then I also would go to, um, I would go fishing with my dad. Oh, cool. And all these men and boys and just like learning how that worked. Did anything about entering those spaces or those situations, did you clock or did other people sort of voice anything about that perceived gender dynamic? Oh, oh yeah. But not ever in a gross way. Cool. Which is pretty cool. Yeah. And I mean, I had a, I mean, one time, like I spent time like with my parents' friends, like they had a lot of robust friends. Like we didn't spend a lot of time with my dog. <laughs> like on your own or with, with the parents? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like one time my dad had already been in Quenelle for business and every year he and his friend would fish at this place called Dragon Lake because the, because there's a bit of pollution in the lake. So you can't take the fish. So the fish are like 40 pounds, mm. which is a very <laughs> weird story. So that's why you go fish. And dragon lake they're just toxic infused like the simpsons fish that's right so you can't eat them okay they're huge and you catch them and it's great fun so he was yucking elf business and so then his friend drove me up there so i had this like amazing five hour experience driving in a car with this man who i'd maybe met once before who just liked driving he didn't have the radio on <laughs> yeah he didn't really have conversations he needed to have he just was gonna spend five hours silently driving his car and until i discovered mindfulness i just kind of derided that and now i'm like wow this person must have been if he's still alive i'd be surprised but because you know there is a, an issue with the dietary choices that also was riveting to me as a child i've never seen butter sliced as thick as cheese and to this day i've been concerned about him but who knows oh no it was all just like slim jims and slabs of butter he would put a steak in the frying pan in the trailer because we shared a trailer uh-huh. and then he would count to 10 then he'd flip it over then he'd count to 10 then he put it on his plate 
and he only ate so white this, bread. So this, oh, hang on. So this count to ten, count to ten. This is like this is a raw situation. <laughs> yeah, it's blue. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Oh my god. Yeah. So I was fascinated. Wow. And I did get him to talk to me, and I think I was probably the I I got the impression he wasn't used to talking to people about his life, mm-hmm. and he's a very butch dude. Mm-hmm. Like I just something about people finding me to be a person they that who asked questions they wanted to talk about and um like i got i got that going on in the in the bush and we were fishing with all these dudes and i I got that going on at the tea party Mm -hmm. i think i've always been a person who was really just interested in people's ways of life and gender never felt arbitrary to me it felt like something that people i think i always had a sense that people were doing this and i wanted to know how it worked that's so cool because then you can I mean, see that, I guess, the different ways they perform it and especially talking to older folks. Like, it sounds mm. like you were hanging out with a lot of peeps who, who like, even were a generation above your parents sometimes. Occasionally. a lot. There were older folks, but a lot of people, remember, my parents were in their 40s when I was born. So by That's the time right. I was compus mentis when I was like maybe five, I mean, my parents were already 45 mm. and 47. By the time I was 10, they're 55 and 57. So it always was older adults in my world. I'm going to stop you for a second. I saw you drop some Latin uh, quickly into this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I made myself clear with regard to the science and math thing. Can you just explain what compus mentis is? Uh, yeah, compus mentis is something that my parents have always said. So that's the advantage of being raised by people who are really intense about language. Sure. Is that I just have these things. I never had to acquire them. They're just there. And compus mentis just means you're in your right mind. Oh, gotcha. Okay. It's obviously super ableist and crappy, but I also, for me, it just meant like I was aware that I was a person and I knew things that were happening around me and could interpret them. That's how I was using it. Yeah, <laughs> you were sort of out of the potato stage and, and you know, a little person bopping along. Yes. Yes, and it's cool too, because it is a two-way street where you, as a precocious youth, got to sort of peek into this adult world and learn fascinating stories about people. But also from the adult perspective, I think there's a bit of a safety in talking to a child in that way. And so you you get trusted with some pretty interesting information. Yes, like one time the neighbor two blocks over and one block south let me know that the bat had kept her chihuahua alive just for the money. Oh no. I was eight and she had a boat in her backyard and she said when she died her son could live in the boat. And I went home to my mom and I told her and she said, why can't he live in the house? And I was like, I will find out for you tomorrow. Also doesn't matter because that story is amazing. Yeah. So we had this whole, and I teased it out, like I had this whole conspiracy theory that I uncovered about that bat and, and like, it's just... I just, that's the kind of thing that I was able to probe yeah. as an eight-year-old. <laughs> Which is so cool. And then in some ways, it's w- like I had a similar experience, certainly in some ways. And then you do, in some ways, you get to grow up really fast, I feel like. Emotionally, I did not grow up fast. But I did develop a sort of, I just became, I was very thoughtful about what I was privy to the Mm. information I got what I sensed and things like that things weren't taken for granted I didn't always know what to do with them but I think that is one of the cool experiences of uh I don't know, a, a nosy child. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Can I say nosy? I don't use that in a pejorative sense. Oh, no. Hell no. I was definitely nosy. Yeah. And I also had some colossal <laughs> failures, too. Like, I have I have a couple of memories of trying to participate in a conversation with an adult using an adult idiom. And I somehow hadn't, like, transacted with my manners enough or something. And it went horribly wrong. And weirdly, those stay with me as, like, intensely traumatic experiences. <laughs> oh, no. Like, one time I told this guy, this 
very sweet man who was like in a folk music club with my dad. I told him he looked tired. Holy crap. I've never oh, been no. more upset. And he's like, actually, I'm not. And I was like, okay. Holy crap. Like it was my, it was like today I have palpitations. So <gasps> oh weird. God. So I think I had so few experiences of it going wrong that when I went did go wrong, like I have had to make friends with, with failures and adults because usually I was able to do what I had to do as a child. And- yeah. Yeah, no <laughs> doubt. But when you do make those faux pas and you are reminded that you are not 40 or whatever, but you are eight, yes. it's it's pretty humiliating and yes. weird to your sort of burgeoning identity. Oh, oh yeah, I am still a child. Oh, yes, very much so. So as far as things to blame, I think that's, I mean, that's a pretty robust list because yeah, I think so. we're, we're blaming sort of some large abstract psychological concepts that, um, yes. I mean, if you take those down, we're not left with a whole lot else. No. Great. And I will say, I appreciate and maybe speaks to your caliber of mind oh my that all of your concepts are so, I know I'm ragging you so hard about this. Your PhD. <laughs> it's okay. That all of these ideas are so uh, nebulous. Yeah, they're like phenomena. That's right. They're just patterns in my life that That's I think right. added up to a way of thinking about myself the world. Love it. That somehow has come to have the words queer and trans and non-binary attached to it. And that is makes sense to me. I have absolutely nothing to add to that. Uh... What about this game you said we'd play? Oh, well, now listen. Now there is a game <laughs> coming up which I was about to surprise you with, but I just like okay. to make sure that everything in that parcel is done. Yes. So before you steal my own game from me, mm. Lee, I don't want to let you go, but soon I'm going to have to. But before I do, would you like to play a game? I would like to play a game, Trevor. <laughs> Great. <laughs> Thanks for playing ball. <laughs> uh, this game is called Queer, Queerer, Queerest. Queerer. And I named it that because it is too long and too difficult to say. Mm. So the rules of this game are very simple. I'm going to give you three things. You are going to put them in order from least queer to most queer and tell me why. That's fun. Oh, I like this. Thank you. (laughs) Any questions? No. Great. In line with your abstract sharings, I'm going to give you some abstract things. I'm going to challenge you. So hang on tight. Interesting. Okay. Thing number one. Pantone's color of the year for 2021. Which, and what is it? Okay, so Pantone is sort of like a color. I know what Pantone light. is. What is the color? Okay, okay. <laughs> hold your horses. I'm very competitive. This is a game. I will win this game. That's right. <laughs> oh my God, can you just be a little faster so I can start winning the game? The whole dynamics changed. I'm feeling attacked. <laughs> okay, so this year, actually, Pantone has chosen two colors in an unprecedented move. One is called Ultimate Gray, and the other one is a yellow color called Illuminating. Okay. So that's thing number one okay. put that in your pocket thing number two themed matryoshka dolls so those sort of russian oh, nesting dolls interesting. but themed like imagine like the golden girls oh. as a, a set there's actually a really cool one that was made by gender creative kids canada and it's of a trans kid oh cool so if you're ever interested it's called the sam doll so if anyone out there's listening gender creative kids canada and look up the sam doll it's very very much a themed matryoshka doll to teach kids about gender identity oh amazing that is so cool well that's sounds then uh pretty queer straight out of the gate and i love that so let's move on thing number three your final thing audio prompts for visual media for example if you read a golden book as a child (laughs) you would have a tape that would say turn the page and there would be a little wind chime or something (laughs) 
So let's recap. So thing number one, Pantone's color of the year, which is two colors, oh ultimate、God. gray and illuminating.、Mm-hmm. Thing number two, themed matryoshka dolls.、Hmm. Thing number three, audio prompts for visual media, least square to most square, and why. Well, I think throughout this time together today, I have highlighted how being queer for me is about efficiency and protocol. Whether it is leveraging that to my advantage or floating it, <laughs> and making and just like having structures and studying the structure. So for me, that queerness is about knowing those rules and patterns, and 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 making humor with them, making knowledge with them, making other things, making art with those things. That's that's what I have studied in my life and what I love. Beautiful. And so I feel like each one of these things has like that element to it. Like Pantone is like we are naming the color of the year, and the Matryoshkas are like this is the theme. These are variations on the theme, and the audio prompts are like now do this chime. <laughs> chime. It's true. It's very sort of like creepy Big Brother messaging for、yes. young now children. Now turn the page. Open the pod bay doors, Hal. <laughs> that's exactly it. I would like to play a game, Trevor. <laughs> Pack your bags and leave your family. <laughs> oh my God! I was thinking of Top Chef, where Pablo Lachey says, "Pack your knives and go," but that's not what would be said in one of these.、Books. So I think the least queer thing is Pantone. Okay. And the second most queerest. Now hang, <laughs> hang on. Before you go to the next one, why? Oh, why? <sighs> Show your work, Lee. It's the one that I'm the least interested in. <laughs> <laughs> that's why you breezed past it. Yes. And、okay. I feel like the Matryoshka. Okay, basically, I just want to talk what I think is the queerest one, which is the audio prompts for visual media and the chime. Okay, because I feel like what that's doing is that's correcting a wayward child <laughs> who's like making an incorrect use of the book, who's like not turning the page, who's like not drawing their attention to the right things. And so, if they're like, "Look at the dog. What direction is the dog running in?" or like, "Look at Jane's mother," and then it's like, "Now turn the page." I feel like it's trying to tell this child they should be interested in,、oh. and that for me is is the whole correcting a wayward child thing. Like that's that's a huge. That's very queer. Okay, gotcha. I like that you built a narrative, so it's queer <laughs> in response to the queer child that's trying to suppress and failing at suppressing. Yes, but in admitting that the correction is required. Oh my god. Is inadvertently producing the excess of normative gender and sexual roles because it is acknowledging this is with us in the world and in need of correction. This is rich. In this paper, I intend <laughs> to prove that. My goodness! Open the pod bay doors, Hal. <laughs> right. So we have、uh, audio prompts. Is queerest Pantone's least. So the one you moved quickly past, but kind of already explained in your preamble was the Matryoshka dolls. Yeah, that was so efficient. I mean, that's what it is. That's what it is to me. It's all about efficiency. <laughs> I feel like you're already. Done. You've like hit the chess clock, and my mind, I'm like, we're just warming up to this game, and you've already finished, and you've left the stadium. I feel inordinately happy with how I performed. I feel like I won, and I'm the I write my own narrative, so I. <laughs> hey, I'm here for that, and I will say this is not a timed game,、hmm. but I think you were the fastest queer, queerer, queerest ever. <laughs> so put that on a pen, in. which is cool because I basically only gave one explanation. So I also made、It's、you、true. think I played the game correctly, which is just like me being a child and making strangers tell me about their lives. It's true, and you goaded me, and I will say goaded me to play the game before I was even ready to play my own game. Yes, we had an agenda. I was aware of the agenda. That's right, and I wanted to action the agenda with you. Which is part of who I am. <laughs> I'm gonna need a tall, cold glass of water after this because I feel between the hot box I'm in right now and the heat of this competition, I'm dizzy. Well, I'm glad. Okay, great. So let me just check these. 
scores uh, against my academic rubric. Mm-hmm. One, two, three. Congratulations. You are, in fact, still queer. Amazing. I'm glad. Yes. <laughs> Thank goodness. So before I let you go, Lee, and I don't want to because you've made me laugh almost this entire time. Oh, and good. I want to say by association made me smarter. Oh, my Is Lord. there anything you want to plug? I want to thank your lovely brother for introducing us over email. Yes. Um, that's not really a plug. I have many things that I do in the world and a lot of them are accessible online. So I have two books in the world and the one I was the only one I talk about here, you can go to learton.com and you'll see it. it's called gender your guide. And it is basically how to, what to do and what to know in this, in these new ways that gender is emerging into all of our lives. Very practical, lots of stories in there, lots of funny bits. So I plug that. And I'd also say if you are a K to 12 student in Ontario, or you are the loved one of a K 12 student, or you are a teacher, Go over to gg.ca, G-E-G-I.ca, and learn about gender expression and gender identity human rights in your school board from a unicorn. <laughs> oh, God. I mean, who could ask for anything more? No one. Uh, yes. As Lee mentioned, uh, I was introduced to Lee through my brother and his partner, which I'm very grateful for. So shout out Matthew Campbell. Shout out Dr. Pamela Beach. Mm-hmm, and then yep. also, yes. So I was gifted your book by them for a holiday Aww. and I read it and I just loved it. I'm it's honored. so I really cannot recommend this enough to folks so if you're listening pick up this book if you have any questions about gender if you have someone in your life who is confused or is afraid of making mistakes or saying the wrong things or just wants to get it right but doesn't know how this book really makes it so simple and does it so joyfully and so clearly so it's um get it i've read it and i'm gonna read it again oh thanks trevor that's so kind of you well it's my pleasure and i'm not in k-12 although science-wise i'd probably be about a grade 10 on an aptitude test grade 10s have a lot going on that's no slouch it's a hard time so check out that website 100 and lee i want to thank you because when we started the zoom call i was pretty queer and looking back now i realize i've become queerer than ever good me too thank you for helping <laughs> me to reflect on my life and where i've been and who i am thank you trevor my pleasure Okay, that is our show. Remember, next week, next Tuesday, we are live on Glad Day TV. That's www.gladdaylit.ca slash GDTV. Please check it out. And then that live episode will be released on the podcast two days later next Thursday. If you have anything you want us to know, email us, as always, at youmademequeer at gmail.com. Please rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast. I feel it physically inside when you do it, and uh, I want that rush. Okay. Cue credits. You Made Me Queers, created, produced, and edited by me, Trevor Campbell. Our theme song is by Critty. For more of her music, check out lavenderbruisers.bandcamp.com. And remember, she's performing the theme live next week. Our website is youmademequeer.com. Our Instagram and Twitter handles are at youmademequeer. New episodes of You Made Me Queer come out every Thursday. And from the bottom of my big, bent, pudding cup-sized heart, thank you for listening. Until next time, remember, we're here... We're queer, and it's your fault.